Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of our Freshfields MedTech podcast. I'm Vanita Kailasana, a partner in our Silicon Valley office, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Sova Aranjavia, who is a luminary in the medical field, an entrepreneur, a practicing physician, and generally awesome person. We'll learn more about her journey along the way, but welcome, Sova. Thank you so much, Vanita. I'm very excited to be here with you. I think I'd love if you do all my introductions like that. (laughs) (laughs) I will be your hype woman. Great. (laughs) Can can you walk us through your career path, including your decision to become an entrepreneur? Sure. So I think like many clinicians, my path, at least in the beginning, was a pretty straight road, except for the fact that I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice when I was growing up. Both my parents were attorneys, so I thought that was the coolest thing. And then I took biology and I fell in love with the nephron. So I decided to go into medicine. And I had originally planned on being a surgeon, then I thought I'd be a cardiologist. But as an intern at Penn, I was really struck by how inefficient the practice of medicine is and how easy it is to make mistakes in taking care of patients. I was a wide-eyed intern and very scared about making any mistakes. And I was really struck by the fact that we're humans, we make mistakes. Medicine is not an exact science, but the preventable errors that we make, we should be able to avoid. And a lot of where I saw those preventable errors was around processes, systems, and technology. So I ended up actually asking for resources or lobbying for resources to build an electronic tool for our teams to use for task lists and handoffs. During residency, we were using Word documents at the time, and which many places still do. And I ended up building a platform for us to do that instead of a Word document. And by I, I mean, I led a team to do that. And that took off across multiple different residency programs. And the thing I heard from people very often was, wow, this makes it a lot easier for me to stay on top of what I need to get done. So that was really the first change in my career path, which was instead of doing straight clinical medicine, I decided to pursue clinical informatics. That meant I joined faculty at Penn as a part-time hospitalist, part-time advisor to our IT department. Ultimately, I became associate chief medical informatics officer for our health system. And you know, when I started this, it was in a time when that wasn't really a thing. There were very few CMIOs at health systems. So this was a leap of faith, so to speak, at that time. But I spent the next 15 years at Penn really focusing on being the inpatient physician who managed the design and the development of inpatient tech uh, and really focusing around frontline clinicians. And I would say if there's been one driving mission, it's been, it should be easier for us to do the right thing for patients. All too often, it's hard for us to do what's right. So in that role, we ended up building a second and then a third version of what I started as an intern. That is what is now Caroline. And it was really fascinating to see that change over the decade of, or really 15 years of working on it, which is that it really became a team workflow and collaboration platform. And one thing that surprised all of us, I think, was how well it was adopted. It took off across the health system, all services. And unlike a lot of other technology platforms, we had the benefit of being able to develop from the inside out instead of the outside in to a health system. So I wasn't trying to think about, oh, I need to just fix this one thing and so I can sell it. I was thinking about what do I need to build comprehensively into this platform so that it can help people with their work. So as of right now, I'm still on the straight path of practicing medicine. I'm an associate CMIO 
And then I would present at conferences and people would say, how do I get this? And I went to our tech transfer office. We tried to have them do something with it and it really didn't go anywhere. And essentially what we realized is it needed someone who was the evangelist of the platform and why we need it. So a few years ago, actually just in time for the pandemic, I decided to take the plunge. It was a really big career change. I never thought I would do entrepreneurship. And in fact, I struggled a lot with that decision because I felt like I was going to the dark side, uh, which is how I think a lot of clinicians are taught to feel that anything related to profit in any way is bad. Everyone should be just doing everything out of the good of their heart and as martyrs. And that's just the mentality, at least I had. And for, I think a lot of us have. So that was a, it was a hard decision. I, I leaned on a lot of mentors and colleagues to give me advice, but I'm so thankful that I made that decision. So I've been doing that for a few years and I will, it's literally drinking from a fire hose every day. Maybe the pressure is a little bit less now. I think it was like being a medical student all over again. I didn't know anything, even the words that people were using. I would sit there in meetings and Google every word. And so it's just been so incredible to learn so many new things. I'd still learn every day, but the coolest thing has been being able to help people in practicing medicine and taking care of them and finding new problems and challenges to address. Wow. What an amazing arc. I feel like there's a lot of discussion of clinician burnout. Do you think that there is like a disconnect between the amount of discussion about burnout and the actions that we're taking to remedy it? No, I definitely think it's all one-to-one and perfect. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We need a lot more action. And I mean, I don't think we have to have less talking, but we need a lot more action. Even in the action that we tend to see, it's, hey, we made a position for a chief wellness officer, but they don't have a budget. They don't have governance. They can't actually make any decisions. They just get to listen to what people are talking about and offer resiliency training, which if someone tells me one more time that clinicians need to be more resilient, I might scream from the top of a mountain. (laughs) No, I don't think we do enough. And I think people are trying, there are many people who are doing everything they can. So I don't want to minimize the fact that there are many people who are very much trying to do good work, but it feels like the people who really hold the purse strings and the decision-making roles in organizations could be doing more. And I also think that it is well known that our technology systems contribute a lot to the frustration and burnout and moral injury that we experience. And I don't think we hold vendors to task on that nearly enough. It's interesting to think about this human technology interaction. And I think particularly over the last, let's say, six to nine months, AI, particularly generative AI, is being introduced as a potential solution to a number of different things. Understand that sometimes technology creates more problems than it solves, but have you seen any interesting opportunities for AI to play in the problems that you're trying to solve? And what are you hearing as folks who are really responsible for tech decisions in hospital systems and in other healthcare systems are evaluating what to do with AI. Yes, it is definitely exploding. I think there are a lot of people who think generative AI and LLMs are going to fix everything, and they're simply not. And there's a lot of situations where, particularly when in the world that I live in around documentation, creation, and consumption, and workflow, it can absolutely help. But my 
concern is that people will think, oh, well, we don't have to do the hard work of actually fixing the processes because we can just use AI as a band-aid. And like I said, it'll help, but it's not going to be enough. I I think there's a disconnect between what we see companies developing and saying that they can do and what we see health system executives ready to implement, although that's not any different. I mean, if you look at the HIMSS exhibit hall, there's thousands and thousands of innovations and health systems are saying we don't want anything but our EHR. So that's not really that new, though I will say health systems, I think are, you know, they're excited about what we can do with AI. So I think there's going to be a lower barrier to entry there. I participate in the American Medical Informatics Association and the 25 by 5 Documentation Burden Reduction Task Force. And in the informatics professional world, there's a lot more, I think, I don't want to say hesitancy, but just guarded reactions around what it can do and how quickly we can implement it in a reliable and effective way. So I think we as a industry are going to have to learn to react faster. Typically, we, I think, react a little bit too slowly. If we don't, it's going to take off and we're going to be left trying to catch up. So a lot of the focus right now is around governance and what kind of policies that we have to put into place to make sure that whatever we're doing is equitable. It's built off of the right type of algorithms. And the biggest thing is that it's not confabulating and generating incorrect data. So I don't know if that answers your question, Benita, but I think there's a lot happening. There's a lot more that will happen. And we're all trying to learn to fly as we're flying. Absolutely. Very similar on the legal side. Anytime you have an amazing new technological revolution, there's inherently different parts of the system that move at different speeds. And a lot of what we have to do, I think, in order to be effective counselors from the legal perspective is not just say no, but to understand where the risks are and to establish kind of guardrails, best practices and the like in order to enable people to use the technology and try to help people be happier, healthier, more efficient, which is really the goal. Yeah. I love that you said that because I think that happens a lot with compliance. You know, HIPAA and privacy are a perfect example where compliance officers will say, no, you can't do that. And then they'd prefer to just turn a blind eye to the fact that people still do it. Uh, So if we don't acknowledge that it's going to happen and provide the right tools and ways for people to do things in a way that we're at least starting to become okay with it, it's just going to happen anyways in an uncontrolled fashion. So I think you're absolutely right. We're all going to need to be more agile in how we respond to these changes. But I think it's worth me saying overall, I'm really excited about it. I think there's a lot that it can do. I mean, admittedly, Three months ago, I had never used ChatGPT or any of the applications, and now I use them every day. So just taking that first plunge, and they're so helpful for so many things. And my own ability to prompt and interact with these technologies is changing exponentially because I learn as I go. So I I think there's a lot that we're going to be able to do with it. I also think it's incumbent upon us to incorporate that into education and in training Every generation from here on forward, and I use that word loosely, generation, is going to need to be proficient with any AI tools. And so we have to quickly bring this into any kind of education and training curricula. Yeah, I've heard um, Shannon Klinger, who's the GC of Moderna, explain that basically everyone will be a prompt engineer. And I think there's a lot of merit to that. In the same way that I expect anyone that I hire to be proficient with Google Workspace and Microsoft, 
I think that's how it's going to be with generative AI is we're going to expect that you are proficient and competent and understand the guardrails of how to use this tool that will help you do your job more efficiently. I mean, there are a lot of challenges that are facing the medical profession, facing entrepreneurs at this moment in time. So what keeps you going? I am really lucky that I get to see people using Caroline all the time. And that is a lot of what keeps me going. I think it'd be really easy as an entrepreneur to focus on the lower parts of the roller coaster because it really is very high highs, very low lows. And really what keeps me going is emails that I get from people that say, oh my gosh, I just came from this other institution and I heard you made Caroline and it's amazing. Thank you so much. Or watching a video that the interns made about how much they love it and singing Sweet Caroline in the hospital. Those are the things that really help me remember that what we're doing has value and that we can help. The other side of that is practicing medicine still. There's a lot of investors and a lot of people who think I shouldn't do that anymore. uh, And as if it's taking away from the business and I wholeheartedly disagree. I am 100% as a CEO of this company, I do five weeks a year doing, we'll say, intense customer deep dives by practicing medicine. And every time I practice, not only do I get to use the platform, I am made keenly aware of the problems that still exist in healthcare. I guess that's really what drives me is we have to do better, right? These things, mistakes have not gotten better. The Joint Commission just released their 2022 Sentinel event report. And it says the same thing that the 2016 Sentinel event report said, which is that communication breakdowns are still the main contributor to all errors in medicine. And we really should be able to do better by now. Wholeheartedly agree and appreciate what you're doing to move things forward. Are there lessons you wish you'd known when you were starting out on this entrepreneurial track from a medical perspective? Yes. The number one thing I wish I would have known when I started this company was that I needed to hire my own counsel. And no, that was not a plug. No one told me to say that. But truly, I do a talk on entrepreneurship as well to clinicians. That is the number one lesson learned because I didn't know anything. And I didn't know that I didn't, I mean, I knew that I didn't know a lot, but so much that we don't know. And specifically having counsel that's for you as an individual separate from, for the company, but there's just so many things I would have done differently. And I think could have really changed some substantive outcomes for the company, or at least for me. (laughs) So that's probably the biggest thing. I think there's lots of lessons learned. I would say the second biggest one is how important diligence is. When you're raising money, it's really, a lot of the focus is on other people doing diligence on you and your company. But it's so important that we also do diligence on our investors, on the people that we're partnering with. There are so many things that get prettied up, you know, that they um, they get covered up. And in the world that I come from in medicine, everyone is very, at least in my experience, everyone's straightforward. We're all same priority, which is patient care. You can be very straightforward, very open. There's no hidden agenda and no secrets. But in business, that's not the case. And I've learned slowly that what people say is not what they mean and that everyone does not have the same set of priorities. So for any kind of conversation, but also for the people that you're potentially working with, it's really important to dig deep. Understood. Valuable lesson. Well, I think we're nearing the end of our time together. Would you like to share any closing thoughts on 
med tech or health IT innovations that you're tracking going forward? Well, I think we covered a lot of the ones I'm excited about. Uh, well, that many of us are excited about. We're around AI and documentation. I mean, my world is really all around workflows. So that's what I'm really focused on. I recently have realized that the way I would define Caroline is as a project management system, but for clinical teams, which doesn't exist in medicine. And there's a book I read recently that I'm just completely in love with called A World Without Email and How to Manage Work in the Age of Digital Communication Overload. It's not about medicine at all. It's about every other industry, but it perfectly describes what happens in medicine and why you need project management and team collaboration platforms. So I'm really excited about thinking about how to bring that revolution to medicine. And I guess what I would dovetail to that is what AI is doing is I think making groups more open to trying things outside of the EHR. So I'm excited for what that can look like for us. It is a very exciting moment in med tech and in health. And with you, I, I share the enthusiasm to see what the future brings. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to, to join us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this edition of the Freshfields Med Tech Podcast. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me.